What happened to music that meant something? Like the Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? He killed a man in Reno just to watch him die, and now the man in black gets a classic album dissection. I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. This week we celebrate the 45th anniversary of Johnny Cash's live recording at Folsom Prison. And later, Dixie Chick Natalie Maines goes solo. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. Wasting away again in Margaritaville Searching for my lost sugar song that song by Jimmy Buffett was a top 10 hit when it came out. It was his highest charting single. The album went platinum. That's something a lot of pop songs accomplish. But a recent article in Bloomberg Businessweek argued that Margaritaville is the most lucrative single pop song of all time. How? They're counting the ancillary products. There are 27 bar and restaurants across the country. The latest just opened a $35 million complex in New Jersey with two restaurants, multiple bars, and a beach-themed casino. Business Week argues that you have to go to a brand like Star Wars, Winnie the Pooh, or Transformers to find anybody making more money off of a single piece of pop product. Jimmy Buffett doesn't make a distinction between Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville. It's margaritaville.com is his website. Everything about the restaurants is advertised there as well as his music. And at these restaurants, you can buy all sorts of stuff. Do you know there's a Margaritaville blender for a mere $349.99? We here at Sound Opinions on Navy Pier in Chicago are steps away from a Margaritaville. I refuse to ever go in, but you (laughs) like your pina coladas there. I know. Because it's a private company, Greg, Margaritaville does not have to release its income, but the Orlando Business Journal took a deep look at the company in 2007 and said that year it made $100 million, and it's only gotten richer since. That's a ridiculous amount of money for a very silly song about being lazy and getting drunk, and it has like 200 words in it. How you doing down here? This is a good end. I like this end. This is a tight end. Yeah, I'm about to dig down deep in my heart Feeling some blood on my pit Would it satisfy your chilling heart? Or would it have to ease the pain? Ease the pain, yeah, yeah Be about to win, be about to sing A love song so divine That is the Rolling Stones who are rolling through North America just wrapping up a big tour, and it is the midst of the concert season, Jim. I mean, during the summer, this is when the big guns roll out. 
And uh, that means that the ticket scalpers are out in force as well, using uh, these bot programs to consume vast majority of the tickets that are available for some of these big shows. What is a bot? It's a cheap and widely available computer program. And it is the biggest enemy of the concert industry right now. A recent piece in the New York Times kind of detailing, updating this story that we have been covering for a number of years here on this show, Jim. Ticketmaster is saying that bots are being used to buy more than 60% of the most desirable tickets for some of these big shows. This is from an industry with Ticketmaster and Live Nation dominating the concert industry. They sell about 140 million tickets a year. Ticketmaster Fighting Back is the latest development here. For the last couple of years, they have tried to develop programs that can counter these bots. They're using technology to try to slow the rate at which these tickets can be purchased by these bots. But they say they're losing the battle, basically. Every time they come up with a new piece of technology to slow down the bots, they invent a new technology (laughs) on the other side to speed it up. A lot of these ticketing bots are often, you know, very inexpensive uh, and programmed in countries beyond the easy reach of U.S. law enforcement. So basically, Ticketmaster is saying we're losing the battle right now. A Ticketmaster spokesman says, we're not trying to stop anybody from buying tickets. We're just trying to make sure that a fan can buy the tickets. And right now, the fans are losing out. Well, Greg, there's no doubting that uh, the secondary ticket seller, as you call them, scalper would be Mm -hmm. a less polite term, is the biggest scourge in the concert industry. Increasingly, bands are finding a number two enemy, though. The British indie rock band Alt-J is using a new app that provides concert goers with video footage from the board of the concert so that they won't use their cell phones or other devices to record the concert. The yeah, yeah, yeahs are putting signs up at every gig asking people not to use their cell phones to record. Uh, We've seen savages from the U.K. do the same thing. I would agree with these bands, Greg. I think in the Sound Opinions concert-going etiquette book, rule number one is don't hold up your recording device throughout the entire concert. It's going to distract other people. I would put at number two, majority rules. Common sense. If the entire section of the arena you're in or the theater is standing up and dancing, don't you be shouting, sit down. If they're all sitting down, don't you be standing up and obstructing other people's views. Common courtesy, right? Common courtesy, Jim. Number three, common courtesy towards the artist. Respect the artist. The artist is playing a slow song. Don't shout out your request for the next song you want to hear them play. Don't (laughs) shout out Free Bird. Yes, thank you very much. We don't need that. And don't throw things on stage. You can wait till after the show to have them sign your T-shirt or your album, whatever it is, your cap. And number four, Jim, I speak from personal experience now. No punching your fellow fans, okay? (laughs) I'm at an Allison Chain show. I may not be a fan, but don't punch the critic either. What do you think should go into the Concert Goers Etiquette Rulebook? Give us a call with your thoughts, 888-859-1800. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison and time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRigatis, and that is the man in black, Johnny Cash, with his unmistakable Folsom Prison Blues. It's off Cash's 1968 live record at Folsom Prison. 
And that album turned 45 this May, so we're celebrating it by revisiting our classic album, Dissection. It's an iconic album for a number of reasons, but let's put this album in its context, Jim. Where Cash was in his career when this record was recorded on January 13, 1968. Consider that Cash had begun his career in the 50s and had a number of hits for the Sun Records label. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. But by the time he made this record in 68, he was 15 years into his career, basically. And he was considered by his label somewhat of a has-been, somewhat washed up. He'd still had a bunch of hits, but he wasn't looking so good. He had a huge yeah. drug problem. Yeah, to say the uh, least. His marriage was, was breaking up. He hadn't had a hit for quite a while. He'd made a number of really kind of crazy records. I mean, just questionable taste being exhibited. Uh, one of his most recent albums at the time was called Everybody Loves a Nut. Yeah. Can you imagine Johnny Cash coming out with a record titled that at this point in his career? There was a hermit named Fred who kept a dead horse in his cave and everyone said to Fred, Fred, how come you keep a dead horse in your cave? And he said, well... Now remember, this is still the first generation of rock and roll stars. You know, now we take it as for granted that the Rolling Stones will continue when they're 70, right? right? But, you know, nobody, none of his peers, not Chuck Berry and not Jerry Lee Lewis, nobody was really sustaining a career into a second decade at that point. It It was not a given. That's a great point. And Cash was considered a has-been by a lot of people. They thought, okay, his run is over. But things turned around for him at Columbia when his producer, since the 50s, Don Law, retired, and a new guy came into the game, a guy by the name of Bob Johnson, was about 35 years old at the time. Johnson, you may remember, was the guy who was involved in all those key Dylan albums from the mid-60s onward, uh, Highway 61 Revisited, John Wesley Harding, Blonde on Blonde. He'd recorded some music with Simon and Garfunkel. He was a New York hipster, and he understood what uh, artists wanted. He was he was uh, one of those iconoclasts who said, you know, the label doesn't know nothing. I listen to the <laughs> artists. I let the artists do what they want. I'll roll the tape. Johnny Cash had wanted to make a live album at a prison for at least a decade. And Johnny Cash had performed at prisons. That's one thing people may not realize, but he'd been playing in prisons since 1957. And since about the early 60s, he'd been begging his label, saying, I want to do an album here. I know how these audiences react. It's going to be great. And the labels are going, you crazy. Um, getting back to that Folsom Prison album, you had a, a lot of trouble persuading somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. They didn't uh, think it would go. Is that the reason? You'd have to hear the reaction and response or enthusiasm from prison audience to really believe it. Uh, maybe it was captured on the album, maybe it wasn't, but the first time I played a prison, I, I said, this is the only place to record an album live, because I never heard uh, a reaction to the songs like the prisoners gave. Now, Cash himself has an interesting history here as well. He had been in jail a couple of times, not for any long stays. But he did have a bit of a record, and this sort of ties in with the earlier point about the fact that he was having an issue with drugs and was acting kind of crazy, and the label was wondering, what do we have here? 
So in 61, he spent four hours in jail on drunkenness and disorderly conduct charges in Nashville. And then in 65, he was busted for uh, crossing over into Mexico, buying about 1,000 pills, yeah. trying to cross back into El Paso. He got arrested by the, by the border police and, and stuck in jail. And he ended up paying a fine and being handcuffed. That picture was shown on newspapers around the country and was kind of an indication of the dissolution of Johnny Cash. You know, a great career was coming to the end. Here was this guy being busted for buying drugs in Mexico. My bills are all due and the babies need shoes, but I'm busted. Cotton is down to a quarter a pound and I'm busted. I got a cow that went dry and a hen that won't lay A big stack of bills that get bigger each day The county will haul my belongings away I'm busted And I don't think it's exaggerated that June Carter Cash, you know, saved him. June Carter came into his life and sort of set him on the straight and narrow path, as it were. And the start of that, Jim, was really, I think, this concert. I think this is the, mm-hmm. this is the moment where the second phase of Johnny Cash's career really got rolling. And within a year, he was a superstar again. From the home of the world-renowned Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee, the Kraft Music Hall presents the second annual Country Music Awards. The next award is for the Country Music Album of the Year. This award is to the artist, but there will also be a plaque later for the producer. The albums nominated are Best of Merle Haggard, Performer Merle Haggard. By the time I get to Phoenix, Performer Glenn Campbell. Divorce, Performer Tammy Wynette. Gentle on My Mind, Performer Glenn Campbell. And Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, Performer Johnny Cash. The album of the year, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. I think the Johnny Cash that we know today as this great, American icon, one of the great performers in American music from the last half century, that reputation really started to be forged and solidified when he made this record. Well, Greg, you know, we're making the case that this is one of the greatest live albums of all time, and one of the things is where it was recorded. I think you need to know a few things about Folsom Prison. You know, this place was built in the late 1870s on the site of a mining camp. It was imposing. It looked like a medieval fortress. It was a scary place. People spent their time in four-by-eight cells with six-inch thick metal doors that are still there to this day. Mm -hmm. They made an improvement sometime in the 50s. They drilled some holes in the door. Air holes, okay? Mm -hmm. This is where the state of California hung all of the people who were convicted of capital crimes until they moved over to San Quentin with the gas chamber, which happened to be the next place Johnny Cash played. See through the prison bars, Joe Bean. See where the gallows stands. Just 20 short years from the day you were born You died by the hangman's hand Yes, they're hanging Joe Bean this morning For a shooting that he never did He killed 20 men By the time he was 10 He was an unruly kid Yes, they're hanging Joe Bean For the one shooting That Joe Bean never did 
It was a scary place. There was a stone quarry. Uh, half the prisoners worked all day breaking rocks, literally. The other half worked in the metal shop. To this day, every license plate in the state of California is made at Folsom Prison. I did a lot of reporting early in my career when I was an investigative reporter on a jail in Hudson County, New Jersey, that was similar. When Cash played there, the population was like 7,500. It's a prison built to hold 3,500, and that's how many it holds today. It's overcrowded. It's tense. It's smell. There's a smell in prison that I don't think is like anything else in the world that I've ever smelled. It's part fear and sweat and excitement and danger. The guards hate being there. The prisoners hate being there. Anybody who visits once is loath to go back. Hmm. And here Cash is coming to play for these. He's going into prison. You know, probably the only person in history who's willingly walked into prison. Where it's dark as a dungeon, damp as a dew. Danger is double, pleasures are few Where the rain never falls, the sun never shines It's dark as a dungeon, way down in the mine It's a hostile environment. If the prisoners are kind to him, then the guards are going to hate him. If the guards like him, then the prisoners are going to hate him. And into this abyss walks Johnny Cash. So how does Johnny Cash win over these people? He walks out on stage, and, of course, he's dressed in black. Right off the bat, he's saying, I'm with you guys. I think more, though, there's an attitude. There's a, like He's not afraid to be there. He's happy to be there, and he wants to prove himself to the prisoners. He's not taking it for granted. I'm your entertainment for the evening. You should like me. He comes out. He says who he is. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. He's not afraid to give his name. And then he plays a song that he wrote about this place that nobody loves, everyone hates, and no one wants to be there. And not only does he sing about it, he confesses a crime. (laughs) Everybody else in that prison is innocent. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. He did. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son... Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry We're going to take a quick break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. But when we come back, more of our dissection of Johnny Cash's At Folsom Prison and some of our favorite tracks. Then, later in the show, Greg and I review new records from The National and the Dixie Chicks lead vocalist, Natalie Maines. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving, and that's what tortures me. From this prison, if that railroad train was mine, I bet I'd move it on a little. 
little farther down the line Far from Folsom Prison That's where I want to stay And I'd let that lonesome whistle Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim DeRogatis, and that's Johnny Cash accompanied by his wife, June Carter, on the track Jackson. It's from Cash's live album, At Folsom Prison, which turned 45 this May. Every once in a while in Sound Opinions, we like to revisit albums that have stood the test of time. At Folsom Prison definitely qualifies. That collaboration with June, I think, is a good reminder of why. Cash wasn't doing it alone. You know, it was Cash with a with a tremendous band uh, playing this this concert. It's one of the reasons it's one of the greatest concerts ever recorded. I mean, he had the Tennessee Three with whom he'd been recording since the '50s, but he also had his wife June Carter there guessing on a couple of songs. He had the Statler Brothers with him singing some backup vocals, and he also had Carl Perkins on guitar. So a pretty amazing band. But really, what it was all about was Cash, that man in black, up there at the foot of the stage, the audience literally within a couple of feet of him. With his guitar, they could have done anything to him, but what they ultimately responded to was a guy who had this confidence, uh, this presence to basically own that place for, for those two hours and, and did a tremendous job of it. The judge said, son, what is your alibi if you were somewhere else? Then you won't have to die. I spoke not a word. Though it meant my life I'd been in the arms Of my best friend's wife And <laughs> then I hear somebody applaud People may think, well, he, half the songs in this show Were about people in prison uh, You know, spoken from the perspective of a convict And you may think, well, oh, he was obviously pandering to this crowd. Well, no, not at all. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, he'd been playing in prisons for 10 years now. And on his first album in the 50s, released for Sun Records, three of the songs were sung from the perspective of a con. He was writing about people in prison even at that early stage. And it was a very important part of his, his interest in American song. On this old rock pile... With the ball and chain They call me by a number Not a name, Lord, Lord Gotta do my time I gotta do my time With an aching heart Won't that gal of mine You can hear my hammer Johnny Cash came from a very tough, poor, blue-collar, working-class background where he recognized that the difference between him and the guy behind bars was not that much. 
And he had an incredible empathy for that audience, understanding what it was to be there in that kind of a position where it could have easily been him. And I think the audience implicitly understood that about him when he came out there and uh, commanded that stage. Jim, you and I are going to play some songs now from this particular concert. Give an example of flair for what was going on there. And the one I want to play is 25 Minutes to Go, which was one of the centerpieces of that show as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It was written by Shel Silverstein, and he's probably best known, uh, Silverstein is, at least for Cash fans, is the guy who wrote A Boy Named Sue, which was a big part of that San Quentin album that Cash recorded a year later. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke And it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks Seems I had to fight my whole life through Some gal would giggle and I'd get red And some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue But I think the key song that Silverstein, I think a better song, actually, is 25 Minutes to Go. And what it is is basically written, from again, from the perspective of a prisoner on death row, his last 25 minutes on earth. And listen to how the audience responds to certain key lines in this song. 25 Minutes to Go from Johnny Cash on Sound Opinions. minutes to go Well, they gave me some beans for my last meal but 23 minutes ago But nobody asked me how I feel I got 22 minutes to go Well, I sent for the governor and the whole darn bunch With 21 minutes to go And I called up the mayor, but he's out to lunch I got 20 more minutes to go then the sheriff said, boy, I'm going to watch you die with 19 minutes to go. So I laughed in his face and I spit in his eye with 18 minutes to go. Now here comes a preacher for to save my soul with 13 minutes to go. And he's talking about burning, but I'm so cold. Twelve more minutes to go. Well, they're testing the trap, and it chills my spine. Eleven more minutes to go. And the trap and the rope, all oh, they work just fine. <laughs> Ten more minutes to go. Well, I'm waiting for the pardon that'll set me free. But nine more minutes to go but this ain't the movie so forget about me eight more minutes to go with my feet on a trap and my head in the noose five more minutes to go won't somebody come and cut me loose seven more minutes to go I can see the mountains, I can see the sky With three more minutes to go And it's too darn pretty for a man to want to die With two more minutes to go I can see the buzzards, I can hear the crows One more minute to go And now I'm swinging and here I go
25 minutes to go by Johnny Cash from the classic album we're dissecting at Folsom Prison. You know, Shel Silverstein also, of course, was the author of the timeless children's book, yes. The Giving Tree. But gallows humor, Greg. What great gallows humor. They're building a gallows outside my cell. Mm-hmm. I've got 25 minutes to go. The whole town's coming just to hear me yell. Yep. i got 24 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play a song where Cash is no longer laughing. It's called Greystone Chapel, and it ends the album. It's different from much of what's on the record because it's, well, first of all, it's a lot longer. It's six minutes uh, on a record where most of the songs are, are two or three. And uh, it's not a song that he wrote. It's a tune that was written by a guy named Glenn Shirley just a couple of years earlier in the late 60s. Shirley was an inmate at Folsom Prison when he wrote the song, which is juxtaposing prison life and and being constricted and constrained with spiritual freedom and flying high and wide. The night before they recorded this song, Cash and the band were staying at the El Rancho Motel in Sacramento, the capital of California, 10 miles away from the town of Folsom where the prison was. And one of Cash's closest friends, the Reverend Gresset, came up to Cash and he asked a favor. And we have exactly what he said. He said, Johnny, I want you to hear a song written by Glenn Shirley, an inmate in Folsom, serving five to life for armed robbery. You've been so busy that I haven't had a chance to tell you about it, but I thought you could mention tomorrow maybe that you've heard the tape and it would please that old boy. Kish did one better. They listened to the tape as a band, and he was moved almost to tears by the lines that there's a graystone chapel here at Folsom, a house of worship in this den of sin. You wouldn't think God has a place at Folsom, but he'll save the soul of many a lost man. Mm-hmm. And I think that to end the show, you can hear this thunderous applause. Again, is it pandering? You know, I'm playing a song written by one of you guys. Hello, Cleveland, right? Yeah, right. N- no. This is the fundamental message of Cash's entire career. Yeah. I'm a sinner, Lord, but you're going to forgive me. And I'd rather be in the company of these fellow sinners than some of the saints I've met. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cash was a man who loved, not in the middle of the road, he loved to travel in the gutter. I think that this is the perfect exclamation point to one of the greatest albums ever recorded. Here it is, Greystone Chapel from At Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. Inside the walls of prison My body may be But my Lord has set my soul free There's a gray stone chapel Here at Folsom A house of worship In this den of sin You wouldn't think that God had a place Here at Folsom But he saved the soul of many lost men Now this gray stone chapel Here at Folsom Stands a hundred years old Made of granite rock It takes a ring of keys to move Here at Folsom But the door to the house of God is never locked Inside the walls of prison My body may be But the Lord has set my soul free
are men here that don't ever worship There are men here who scoff at the ones who pray But I've got down on my knees in that gray stone chapel And I thank the Lord for helping me each day Now this gray stone chapel here at Folsom It has a touch of God's hand on every stone It's a flower of light and a field of darkness And it's given me the strength to carry on Inside the walls of prison my body may be But my Lord has set my soul free Raystone Chapel by Johnny Cash from At Folsom Prison. Greg, that album is 45 years old this month, but it hasn't aged a day. And one of the surest signs of that is the number of covers of these songs. Everybody from Diamond Glass to the Reverend Horton Heat, from Pine Valley Cosmonauts to the band playing under us, Uncle Tupelo, has covered Cash from this album. If you want to sound off on Johnny Cash or let us know what live album you think stands the test of time, give us a call at 888-859-1800. We'll be back after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX with reviews of the new albums from The National and another country rebel, Natalie Maines. Early in the morning I was making the rounds I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down I went straight home and I went to bed I stuck a love in 44 beneath my head Early next morning I grabbed that gun I took a shot of cocaine and away I run Then I could run but I run too slow They took me down in Juarez, Mexico Joy, just taking the pills and walked the sheriff from Jericho Hills. He said, Willie, really, your name is not Jack Brown. You're a dirty hack that shot your woman down. Yes, oh, yes, my name is Willie Lee. You got a warrant, just read it to me. I shot a girl because she made me sore. I thought it was her daddy, but she had five more. I was arrested. Dressed in black. They put me on a train. They took me back. Graceless. Is there a powder to erase this? Is it dissolvable and tasteless? You can't imagine how I. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's a track from the new National album. The track is called Graceless. The new album is called Trouble Will Find Me. The National band that's been around for quite a while, uh, formed in Cincinnati in 1999. Five-piece band, basically the same lineup since that day. Singer Matt Berninger and two sets of brothers in this band, Aaron and Bryce Dessner on guitars and Scott and Brian Devendorf as the rhythm section. 
These guys formed their own label, Brassland, to release their first couple of albums, then moved to New York, Brooklyn, and began working with uh, renowned producer Peter Caddis on their next few albums. Alligator in 2005 was their breakthrough. Uh, sold a couple hundred thousand copies, got the major exposure at uh, rock festivals around the world. And then they followed it up with Boxer in 2007, which cracked the Billboard Top 100, High Violet in 2010. Now their sixth album, Trouble Will Find Me. Guest appearances by Sharon Van Etten, Sufjan Stevens, St. Vincent. These guys are moving up in the world. They're also self-producing their own stuff now. Here's a track from it, Demons from Trouble Will Find Me by The National on Sound Opinions. When I think of you in the city, the sight of you among the sights, get the sudden sinking feeling of a man about to fly. Never kept me up before, now I've been awake for days. I can't fight it anymore, I'm going through an awkward phase. I am secretly in love with everyone that I grew up with. My crying underwater, I can't get down any farther. All my drowning friends can see now there is no running from it. It's become the crux of me. I wish that I could rise above it, but I stay down with my demons. I stay. by the National from album number six, Trouble Will Find Me. Greg, and I think that's a, a good example of this band on this album. They've been doing the same thing for a very long time now. Existential dread and depression, okay? <laughs> that is what uh, Berninger kind of specializes in. And that track, it's kind of catchy. The musicianship and the recording is impeccable. It works its way under your skin so long as you don't pay too much attention to it. Because this guy who is at the, the verge of self-annihilation because <laughs> his life is so miserable all builds up to his biggest complaint is, when I walk into a room, I don't light it up. Jeez, really? Okay, you know, earlier he says, if you want to make me cry, play Let It Be or Nevermind. 
I'd rather play Let It Be or Nevermind. Uh, whether I'm going to cry or not, I don't know. You know, the, the same emotion over and over again, this depressive shtick, except they've gotten much less subtle as they've gone into the mainstream, as they've gone to the arenas. A unhealthy amount of U2 stadium bombast has come into the proceedings. There are some fine moments on this album, but like I said, if you listen too close and think too hard, you will soon say, why am I wasting my time? It's a burn it, and I'm being kind with that. I'm not hearing the bombast at all, Jim. I am hearing subtlety in this music. I think that's perhaps the fault that I'm finding with it more so than you. You know, they, they basically defined a sound, this sort of brooding chamber pop, chamber rock, whatever you want to call it. Very subtle orchestration with the strings, the keyboards, the horns ornamenting, you know, the basic five-piece lineup. I think Devendorf, the drummer, is is fantastic. The way he compliments Berninger's voice is the key to the band. Berninger, though, has become a bit of a one-trick pony. I mean, this is a midlife crisis uh, times 10 it's on this record. It's been going on for 25 years. Yeah, and, and as a result of that... I feel like they've sort of taken this big block of sound that they started with. I think their second album, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, was brilliant in the way it used the dynamics. Uh, one of the best and most underrated albums of that decade. And I think they've just taken a very narrow portion of that sound and sort of focused on it to the detriment of how wide-spanning they could be. I wish there was more bombast on this record. You're saying there's there's too <laughs> no, much of it? No. I don't think there's enough of it. I wish there was more of a, a range in the sound. I, I like this band. I respect them, but I can't say I love the last couple of records. This is a Burn It record for me. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like this song? Greg, everybody loves that song. It is Pink Floyd's Mother from the Wall, but it is being brought to us by Natalie Maines, best known as the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks, from her new solo album, which she calls Mother. You know, Natalie was born to country music hierarchy. Her dad was the producer, Lloyd Maines. She went on to the Berklee School of Music. She's got some serious chops. In 1991, she was recruited by uh, Marty Robeson and Emily McGuire to become the new lead singer of the Dixie Chicks, replacing their original singer. Natalie's the girl with the big mouth. She's gotten the Dixie Chicks into some trouble, famously. 2002, picking a feud with Toby Keith over his jingoistic uh, courtesy of the red, white, and blue. 2003, in the UK, criticizing President Bush on stage for the war in Iraq. Got them banned in a lot of corners of the conservative Nashville country music pantheon. They went on to kind of break from Nashville, recorded their last album in 2006 with uh, Rick Rubin, and they've been on hiatus ever since. Been pretty darn quiet in Camp Dixie Chicks, aside from the uh, scattered concert appearance. Now comes this solo album from Natalie Maines. She turned to producer Ben Harper to guide her through it, and there are a lot of covers, a few originals, but she's she's going far and wide, teaming up with Gary Lewis of the Jayhawks, covering a song by Jeff Buckley, Eddie Vedder, the Pink Floyd track that we heard. This is a song that was written by Patty Griffin. It is called Silver Bell, by Natalie Maines from Mother on Sound Opinions. Silver Bell, Silver Bell, yeah, that's the name of the old motel. We were traveling and 
That is Silver Bell from Natalie Maines, the first solo album from Natalie Maines called Mother. Jim, you mentioned the uh, Dixie Chicks. Obviously, you cannot not mention the Dixie Chicks when you're talking about Natalie Maines' career. And I think near the end of her tenure with that band, you saw her sort of chafing a bit at her reputation within that band and, and the band's reputation itself within country circles as sort of a feisty but kind of uh, lighthearted band. She wanted to be taken more seriously, I think, on a number of levels. And this is a record that's uh, saying, take me seriously as an artist, take me seriously as a singer. I think she partially succeeds. There's a few moments on this record where you really see an artist underneath that country pop veneer. You know, I think I think she does a great job with the title song, for example. But for the most part, you know, you alluded to the production. Ben Harper, I don't think, does her a lot of favors here no. as the producer. It's a very slickly produced record. And there's a few moments where she's just frankly out of her range. She covers that Jeff Buckley song, Lover, You Should Have Come Over, and I think she just slaughters it. You know, so she is trying to stretch herself as a singer and an artist, but I don't think she gets all the way there. There are a few moments on this record that I think are pretty good, but there's a a bunch of other moments where I think uh, she should have tried again. It's a burn-it record for me. Yeah, I agree, Greg. I think of that classic uh, debut episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show, where Mary Tyler Moore meets Lou Grant for the first time, right? You know, and, and Ed Asner says to her as Lou Grant, you're spunky, and Mary kind of, you know, is proud. And then Ed says... I hate spunk, right? And and Natalie's the spunky one. I wish there was more spunk here. She's got it in her. She was just afraid to let it show. You know, you don't go to Ben Harper for, for soul and dirt and gut and grits, despite him thinking he has all that. You, you go to, like, Jack White, all right? What could Jack White and Natalie Maines have done together? That Because it's not even the problem of the song choice. It's really that everything sounds too Nashville still. And by Nashville, I mean the industry, the attitude, the sound of the place, but also the TV show with Connie Britton. I, I like that show. It sounds like she could be singing these songs. It's too generically country pop. I wish Natalie had given us more. So it's a burn it record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast away, lost the island As often as possible, we like to take the Sound Opinions yacht over to the desert island. And this week, it is Jim DeRogatis' turn to play a track you cannot live without. Jim, what do you got? We're at public radio. I'm not so sure we have a yacht. Greg, I'm feeling a little progressive rock today, and uh, partly it's because of, uh, this is a gratuitous plug alert, a new book called Yes is the Answer and Other Prog Rock Tales. I contributed a chapter, and so ELP has been on my mind because novelist Rick Moody writes about that band, and that is the silliest of all the progressive rock bands. Everything that could be done over the top, they did way over the top, and they were unabashed about it. But they could be very pop-oriented in their more succinct moments. I'm going to play a song from their 1970s self-titled debut called 
lucky man. Greg Lake, the bassist and vocalist, that baritone vocalist, wrote this song when he was 12 years old. And it really feels like that. It's a fantasy, uh, kind of Dungeons and Dragons, but I think it's set in the Napoleonic era. The best part of it is the war comes in in the form of the Keith Emerson Moog solo, the first really successful Moog synthesizer solo on record. This became a hit single in 1973, a few years after it initially appeared. It starts as this low droning D, this ominous sound. And then as the song ends, Emerson just goes insane. All right. He plays about 17 million notes in the space of 30 seconds. He jumps up two octaves using the glide device on the Moog. It's just so silly, but it's so brilliant. He's disavowed this solo in recent years. He doesn't play it live and he refuses, you know, he's very ashamed of it. But I think that, that that's the whole story of Prague. Don't be ashamed for the feelings you had when you were a 12 or 13-year-old boy. Let your freak flag fly. Don't be ashamed to be a geek. Here is Lucky Man by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer on Sound Opinions. He had white horses and ladies by the score All dressed in satin and waiting by the door Ooh, what a lucky man he was Ooh, what a lucky man he was White lace and feathers They made up his bed A gold mattress on which he was led
Spooky Man by ELP, my Desert Island jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, you and I are going to run down our favorite albums of the year so far. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minoff. Special thanks to Shauna Coyne and our executive producer, our fearless leader, is Tori Southside Malatia. He's not the man in black. He's kind of the man in beige. a mind weaver always on the phone telling me all sorts of hurt of his own although his voice was sweet to me I wondered if we could On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, my name is John Steer from Minor, Illinois. And I think it's funny uh, that you talk about ratings being down for American Idol this year by 40%. I, uh, large part due to the untalented Phillips winning last year. The guy had a vocal range of about seven notes. And what I am to you is not real What I am to you, you do not need What I am to you is not what you mean to me You give me miles and miles and mountains And I'll ask for the sea And it really disgusted me and I didn't watch this year because of that Thank you very much. Hey, this is David from Nashville. I actually wanted to call and leave a comment on the comments, which had to do with uh, Nick Drake. I just want to say it was so inspiring hearing people talk like that about him. It uh, completely shows the absolute wonderful power of of music and and great music to inspire and uh, give people meaning in certain elements of their life goes to prove that great music is absolutely timeless. Uh, This is a guy who put out a few records that sold nothing. He died 30 or 40 years back selling no copies of his records, and people are still completely moved to travel the world to go visit his, pay tribute to his life. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Please beware them that stab and only smile to see why you die. Once you've seen what they've been to in the earth, just won't seem worth a night or a day. Oh, yeah, what I say. Look around, you find the ground is not so far from where you are. Don't be too wise. For down below, they never grow, they're always tired and charms are higher. From out of their eyes, never surprised. Hey guys, this is Adam from Boston. I'm calling in regards to all this super tramp love that's coming out of the woodwork. 
It was fascinating to me that during the Tame Impala interview, Kevin Parker mentioned Supertramp because, you know, he, he had the fearlessness to say, I'm going to say that this not hip at all band really influenced me because really all the hip rock critics would never say they love Supertramp. I don't care about such stuff. I love Supertramp. I still don't like them. Maybe I'm the only one. I do agree they have some good melodies and chord changes, but it is complete cheese. Sorry, I can't get past it. Anyway, I love the show. All the episodes have been awesome, but it's been like a couple weeks in a row of Super Tramp. Kind of had enough, but whatever, man. Good job, guys. No more messages. Share your opinions on Sound Opinions. Call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.